Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. He is Steph Curry. Steph, it is great to have you back in the jungle. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate the introduction. That sounded amazing. There he is. You do. You sound great, Steph. It's great to have you. So, look, I know you're on your way to the parade. Obviously, you've been a part of championship parades in the past. But when you consider everything that this team has been through since 2019, how good and maybe how different is this parade going to feel to you? It's going to be special. Like you said, we've, you know, from 15, 2017, 2018, like, uh, that that run we had was amazing, and it was built on like our core. Obviously, you know, KD, uh, some amazing talent and some amazing work that we put in. Uh, but when you come off the the last two years that we've had with you know injuries, you know, Clay, myself, um, you know, adding some new guys that you know have so much potential, but are trying to figure out you know what it means to be successful in this league and impact winning, and you know how far it. Uh, uh, a, a playoff run, let alone a championship, felt you know two years ago. To have gotten back to the mountaintop is special. Like we we changed buildings. We're in San Francisco now. You know a lot has changed um, since our, our our last championship, and a lot of work has gone into it. So there's going to be a, a worthy celebration through the streets of San Francisco today, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited about it. I love it. Steph Curry joining us before that parade. Hey, Steph, I know you're not going to make it about you, but when I look at your situation, you are a two-time league MVP. You've played at an elite level for years, but coming off this series against Boston, where they threw everything they had at you and they still couldn't stop you, does it feel like maybe this is the best you've ever played? I always say, like, I'm still in my prime and feel like I can always get better, and that's always the motivation. Um, and when it when it comes... Uh, when it comes out the way it did through this playoff run and especially in the finals. And then you add the context of the situation and everything I kind of explained of us trying to come back and reach the mountaintop again, like all that adds to, you know, the experience and the sense of pride of the work that, that I put in and um, and the results. So definitely feel like, you know, all things considered, uh, this is the best basketball that I've played. And, um, you know, it means a lot to – you know, help, help, you know, help lead the charge in terms of, you know, when, when you're trying to win championships, you understand how difficult it is and all the adversity you have to overcome. And, um, and like you said, we played an amazing Boston Celtics team that had a number one defense in the league and, um, you know, really tested us. And we, we found a way to kind of, you know, persevere and get through. And, and I was happy. I was pretty consistent throughout the whole finals. Steph Curry is joining us before the parade. Steph, I have to admit, I've been laughing about how Clay and Draymond have been reminding everybody about the things that the other players and media figures have been <laughs> tweeting about and said about you guys over the last year and before that. You would even gloss yourself, quote, the petty king. At the same time, you never, ever publicly bash any other players. So let me ask you this. Do you maybe just take mental notes, and do you use that as fuel? Is that something you personally feed off of? You have to because it's a part of the nature of the business that we're in. There's so much you know, spotlight and scrutiny and criticism and praise that, that goes into you know, every single day of the year, even if it's in-season, off-season. It seems like there's always some commentary going on around the league. And, uh, you know, especially when you have, um, uh, you know, experts that are giving their opinions on, on who we are as a team and what we're capable of. And, you know, nobody believes that, you know, you can you know, be successful, you can be a championship contender and all that type of stuff. And 
all those <clears throat> opinions are, I think, colored with the, uh, a lot of different uh, flair and, and, and dramatics. We always feed off it. I, I, I don't really respond to it in the moment, but you hear everything. And, you know, you carry it. And I think for me, that's why I had so much emotion coming out, you know, after the horn came out of game six because, you know, I knew all the talk around us. I knew how hard it was for us to, you know, get back here. And on top of that, you have so many people that are just throwing so much shade at you along the way. And um, that's definitely motivation for sure. We were talking to Steph Curry. You know, Steph, when you lay that out, and I saw that emotion, I think everybody did. And you've talked about this journey, so you start to get a sense of why this means so much to you. As you look back, like, obviously, you've evolved greatly. Everybody does. Well, hopefully everybody does. But how different are you now compared to when you won that first title? What's been the biggest change for you over the years? I mean, just an awareness of, I mean, one, as you get older, like doing what you do and the sacrifice it takes, the amount of work that you have to put in uh, on a daily basis, um, all that stuff matters. And, you know, it's so it's so important to, to you know, you know, start trying to stay as consistent as possible uh, individually, um, you know, to do what I need to do out there on the court. So there's a, there's an understanding of what it takes there. But it's also just an awareness of, you know, maintaining our, our championship DNA. I said that a lot this year in terms of, you know, me, Draymond, Clay, Andre, you know, Kevon Looney, guys that have been on the stage before. Like, we understand what it takes, but you have to be able to pass that knowledge off you know, to the young guys that you know are going to be out there, you know, playing significant minutes and meaningful games. And the awareness and, I guess, the way that you can uh, make that as approachable as possible and give them as much confidence as possible, um, you know, as they're going through these experiences for the first time, that, you know, it tests your leadership uh, on a daily basis. And um, that's as important as what you do on the court because uh, you have to have guys, you know, one through 15, everybody has to be ready, especially the way that we play. So to be able to run that back and recreate that with this group um, is something that, you know, myself, Draymond Clay, will will remember for a long time because um, I think that the awareness and the perspective that we've gained over these years, it all matters. We're talking to Steph Curry. Steph, I'm glad you brought up the championship DNA because you have been talking about that and you just mentioned how important it is to pass it along to the younger guys. But could you describe and define what it is exactly? What do you, When you talk about championship DNA, what do you mean? When you go through that first run, I think when you look back at 14, 15, like you have so much confidence and I'm borderline like stubbornness because you haven't you know accomplished it before but you're trying to manifest it for the first time and then you look up and say like, oh we, we just won that championship and this is an amazing feeling um but when you have that confidence and and built and you build on that every single year you understand the the details of okay regular season game 28 you know we're playing you know the the 13th rank or team in the Western Conference whoever that is you might win that game but can you actually be you know accountable to yourself on or or did you know did the way that we play tonight is that going to lead to um success in the playoffs and that's the standard that you carry every single day and how we measure ourselves um but you only know that unless you've gone through it before so We've carried that, you know, through all the highs and lows of these last, you know, seven years. Um, and we, I think, you know, the respect that comes with what we say and how we say it and when we say it, um, you know, these young guys, they really respond to it because they know we've been there before. So 
Um, all that matters. And then the last thing is this, you know, when you get into that environment in a hostile environment, and, you know, in the finals in Boston, you know, game three and four, the crowds into it. Like we've been in those environments before and we know how to handle it. And we know how to respond. And, um, you know, we've won 27 or we won a road game in 27 straight series, which is, uh, is one of those records that I might, might never be broken because of how hard it is to win on the road in the playoffs. Didn't mean to interrupt you. It's an insane number. It's, that is an insane stat to me. Steph Curry joining me for a few more moments. Now, Steph, there's so many things, obviously, it's out of your control. So I'm curious about this. Bob Myers was on the show a few weeks back, and we talked about June of 2019. And that's when the team lost in the finals. Clay got hurt. Kevin Durant left shortly thereafter. At that point, you know, you're obviously forever optimistic, but there are so many things out of your control. Was there ever any time where you thought to yourself, man, it's been a hell of a run, but the era is over? I mean, I'll probably say right after I broke my hand um, in the 2019-2020 season, we were five games in. Uh, Clay was still out with his ACL injury. Um you know, Draymond had some some bumps and bruises. I, I break my hand. I'm out four months. That was when I felt the most removed from not only the team but just the road to you know becoming a relevant team again. Uh, you're dealing with rehabs. Your your whole routine is kind of shook up in terms of um, you know practices and games and just even uh, you know being part of the group. So. At that point, that's where you feel the most, you know, detached, and you realize the road is is, is going to be long and hard. Um, but I think everything from that one game I came back uh, right before the pandemic hit, and I played one game against Toronto after I, got, I finished my hand rehab, that lit the fire uh, for for me individually for the next, you know, two and a half years to get back to this point where uh, you understand we. we we have enough. Uh, it's just a matter of can we get healthy, can we get everybody back on the floor and maintain, uh, I, I hate to keep using it, but maintain that championship DNA and that culture that we've built uh, with how we do things on a daily basis. Um, and then you just got to trust that, that, that process and that journey. Because uh, like you said, those are the only things you can control and you don't know how it's going to end up. But thankfully, it uh, it all worked out for us. So clearly, Steph, I know you, you definitely want to enjoy this. I understand that. And maybe on some level, it hasn't even sunk in yet. But in terms of journey, you and Draymond have welcomed everybody back to the Warriors Invitational, like, <laughs> which is great. When you look at the talent on the roster, are you already thinking about a fifth ring and maybe even more? Like, how long does this Invitational last? I mean, I've already started to kind of imagine when you add a, a healthy James Wiseman, you try to bring everybody that uh, played a key role in, in our success this year, bring them back. We got, uh, like you said, Bob Myers has done an amazing job putting uh, a competitive team, the right pieces together. I know we have some some decisions on extensions and, and, and signings and stuff like that, but uh, all those decisions are made a lot easier when you win. And so, um, you know, hopefully we have a good summer on that front. We can retool. And like you said, I, we, I think Andrew Wiggins said it, uh, and I love that it came from him knowing, you know, his journey. And now that he's, a, he's stamped and he's, he's a champ now, um, even yesterday in his, his media availability, he said, you know, we can be even better next year. Um, and that hasn't been something that we've all talked about as a group. It's just individually we all can feel that um, this is a, an amazing accomplishment, but we have an opportunity to kind of run it back. And, 
and uh, and continue to dominate. So we're going to do everything in our power to make that make that a reality too. Hey, Steph, one last question. Since you mentioned Wiggins, I want to ask you, it seems like everybody in that locker room wanted to win a title, but it seems like everybody wanted to win a title for somebody else. It seems like you guys wanted to win for Clay because of everything he had been through. Yeah. You wanted to win for Draymond because of the crap he takes. You wanted to win for Wiggins because he's never gotten this far, and they wanted to win for you because of the love and respect they have for you. How would you sum up this culture that you mentioned and the attitude in that locker room, if you can leave me with that thought? I, I want to get. I mean, it's a credit to Coach Kerr first and foremost. Um, when he first took the job, he he understood what uh, what type of group he was taking over. And, you know, that was me, Clay Draymond. Um, you know, coming into our prime, really taking the next step as as uh, you know that that championship core that could figure it out. And then he came in with such humility that. He, you know, he wanted to unlock us, uh, something in us that could help us get to the next level. But it was about the players. It was about the guys in the locker room and, and how all the pieces fit. And that's been the messaging ever since. You know, every year we run it back. Uh, he does an amazing job of, um, you know, communicating with, you know, the, the roster from top to bottom on uh, it takes everybody to win at this level. You know, whether you're playing 40 minutes or whether you're playing two minutes or, anywhere in between, like you are a part of that process. And I think everybody really believes that. And me, Clay, and Draymond try to embody that, um, you know, every day that you know, we go out there and hoop. And so when you get guys like Wiggins, you know, guys like Jordan Poole, guys like Otto Porter and Nemanja Bielica, and, and they come in and they hear that message, they get empowered by that. And then, you know, hopefully the results follow. So um, there's a selfless attitude amongst everybody um, because we understand that uh, it's, it's not just about one person. I mean, everybody has to do their job and play their role and do it to the best of their ability. Um, and when you do that, good things happen. Seems to me that's summed up perfectly. He's a four-time champ, a finals MVP, a two-time league MVP, an eight-time All-Star, all-time leader in threes, member of that 75th anniversary team, and getting ready for the parade. Steph, what can I say? I know you got a big, big day in front of you. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you starting your day with us. Great to have you back in the jungle, Steph, and congrats on the win. Really good to talk hey. to you. Yes, sir. Always a pleasure, man. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Steph. Hey, listen, I understand that investing can be really confusing, especially right now when people start throwing around terms like meme stocks, altcoin, and shilling. With all that jargon flying around, it can be hard to figure out exactly how or where to start investing. Getting your money right is easier with SoFi. It's the first investing platform to offer stocks, ETFs, automated investing, and cryptocurrency too, all in one single app. So whether you're eager to get started with investing or you already know the ropes and you want to diversify your portfolio, SoFi has your back. No commissions on trading stocks and ETFs, plus no account fees or hidden fees. Use fractional shares that start as low as $5 to buy brand name stocks, even if you don't have a couple of grand lying around. And complimentary financial planners are ready to help you with any questions, whether you're stuck on where to start or you need help deciding what to do next. What I'm saying to you is... Cut through all the jargon. Make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Rome and learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open up an account. That's SOFI.com slash R-O-M-E. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. 
All investments involve risk, including the loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results or future performance. It is smack off week. Like, here we are. Here, here we are. the bleep here we, the are. we are. We freaking made it. The main event is Friday. The biggest day on the jungle calendar is now four days away. But there is still valuable sand left in the smack off season hourglass. There is still time to rip a golden ticket. It is not too late to RSVP. Just don't do it like he did. It's not too late to get up off the watch list. Or even send a prediction video to smackoffvideos at gmail.com. And I do still have player profiles to get to. In fact, today, I have to profile a dude who is simply put, the best to ever do it. The only clone to ever rip the title King of Smack six times. The only caller in the history of the show who has ripped a strap in three separate decades. I think that's really understated. Really underrated. One thing to have six. He's done it across three decades. He is your 09, 2011, 2015, 2018, 2019, and 2021 Smackoff champ, a.k.a. your defending champ. He is the B.I.C. Brad in Corona. Bradley, a sensation from the very jump, from his very first call back in 08. He was already jungle royalty heading into SmackOff 27 a year ago, obviously. But then he went and cemented his legacy by ripping his sixth crown. He broke the tie at five with Sean the Cabo Nation. And in so doing, became the single most decorated caller in the history of this program when he made this phone call. Hey, I love the Leffen Laguna RSVP call earlier this week where he called into the show and said he had sex with my wife. Left. Don't take this the wrong way, dude, but if my wife were into stupid, floppy-eared things with bad breath and a retractable penis, I'd hook her up with Paul's dog. He's got better smack than you, and he definitely won't be bringing any gimmicks into the bedroom. She'll appreciate that. Just pure doggy style with Paul's dog room. Hey! <laughs> Lef might be Brad's biggest rival these days. But nobody in the jungle is safe when the BIC is on the line. And you never know exactly who is going to get them fists. Sometimes it's Lef, sometimes it's Shawnee, sometimes it's me, or sometimes Brad will punch down. Sometimes Brad will swing from the jungle's lower vines. Matt in L.A., stop making jokes about Belly Clarkson, dude. You're fatter than Belly Clarkson. It doesn't make sense. You can't make fun of someone for being fat when you're fatter and uglier than they are. That's not how this works, dude. Matthew is a troubled young man, Jim. I, I don't know if you've ever checked out his Twitter feed, but his posts are borderline insane. He's like an even dumber version of Ray Lewis, if that makes any sense. He, he wakes up every morning and posts, Thank you, God. God is amazing, which is fine. But then he chases that with four pictures that are so random, they look like one of those tests you have to take on a website to prove you're not a robot. We don't need to see pictures of a peacock next to a beware of dog sign. Stop taking drugs, dude. Like I said, when Brad calls, everybody is on notice. And thankfully, he calls more and more and more. So a few years back, he was a once-a-year caller. Now, he was good enough that he would call once a year, generally not about sports, show up, take the money, and then be gone. 
until the next year when he would call up generally not about sports, take the money, and then be gone. However, he's been a lot more active. A lot more active in 2022. In fact, he has made multiple calls in 2022. And even he has made accurate and hilarious Super Bowl predictions. So Buffalo fans, Rick and Buffalo, listen closely. Hexy poo, hexy poo, I put a hex on you. That should do it. Jim, let me explain to you what's going to happen to the Bills if they get by the Chiefs this weekend. And it's the same thing that happens to Rick and Buffalo every year when he gets to the big show disappointing performance and a loss against some white trash dude from a town nobody's ever heard of. That's right, Jim. Three words. Joe freaking Burrow. Remember it. Super Bowl final. Bengals 36. Rams 21. I mean, yes, that was in fact Brad predicting a Bengals-Rams Super Bowl matchup back in January. I mean, on the one hand, that does not sound very much like Brad at all. However, like great champions, he has evolved. He has improved. He has honed his smack over the years. Like, imagine the best of the best best, still trying to get better, like Steph Curry. When Steph Curry called in the first segment, he said, look, I still feel like there's more there. I still feel like I can improve. Like, Brad is like Steph Curry, except... Steph is one of the best to ever do it. We can have that debate, that Mount Rushmore, Mount Crapmore debate. There is no debate with Brad. Brad is the best. Brad is the best to ever do it. He is the GOAT, but he's still improving. In fact, to the point where it almost feels effortless and better than ever. When I said to Steph, when you consider how good Boston is defensively and how hard they came at you and what they threw at you, did you feel like you played your best basketball to date? And he answered that question the way he did. I would make the same point about Brad. Everybody's coming for this guy. He's got the biggest bullseye on his back ever. And he still seems more comfortable and more at ease and better at it than he has ever been. Case in point, his RSVP call last month. So I got a quick request for this year's smack off before I go. Can we update the places that people live in? I feel like a lot of the guys on the show aren't really living in the cities we associate them with anymore. And I think to be fair, we just need to update everyone and make people known by where they actually live. Like Vic in NoCal is really Vic in Baja. Mark in Boston is really Mark in Florida. And as you know, Jim, Cal in Vegas recently relocated to heaven. R.I.P. Cal. Stugnut didn't post the odds of you winning this year, but they're the same as they were last year. All right. Happy Memorial Day, Jimbo. I'll see you on the 24th. Can't wait, Bradley. It should, <laughs> it should surprise absolutely nobody at all that Stucknut. The unofficial odds maker. He's got Brad as the favorite at two to one to win his seventh, seventh smack off on Friday. And he hasn't won any of those as a coach or an executive. All six have been as a player. And he's looking to make it seven. And I'm gonna say he's in his prime. I'm gonna say he is on top of his game still yet. He is not just the most decorated smack-off caller ever. He is also on the best run of results ever. His last four smack-off results have been first, first, second, first. So he's on one. 
Now he's trying to make it four straps in five years. Something only previously accomplished by Shawnee. And now this guy, the BIC, is rolling downhill into the big day with a ton of momentum. Romy, I came to the jungle to drink some beers and talk some smack. Rick and Buffalo is so ugly when he and his wife have sex, she has to close her eyes and pretend he's Tony Kornheiser. Hey, shout out to Cruz Pedregon for volunteering to put the smack off winner's name on his race car for one race. Cruz, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth here, but dude, this ain't the Indy 500, man. You race NHRA drag cars that last for like five seconds. The only thing quicker than that with less publicity would be if Vic and NoCal volunteers to shout out the winner's name the next time he had sex. Ah, uh, ah, uh, Brad, Brady Corona! Bark in Hollywood. What do your parents tell their friends that you're doing out here exactly? Last week, Matt in Vancouver called in and uh, admitted that him and Tyler had a shared calendar appointment for a northern sando with my wife. Matt, I'm confused. Uh, when you kick my wife out of your northern sando, that just leaves two dudes left in the sando, so it's an all-meat Protein-style Canadian Sando? If the Mant brothers were horse owners, their stables would consist of one Zenyatta, that's you, Jim, and about 50 of those zebra-painted donkeys that tourists take pictures with when they go down to Mexico. I afraid he won this thing last year and he took the computer as his prize? Giving a 92-year-old guy a computer is borderline elder abuse, Rome. I'm not saying times are hard for Mark in Hollywood, Jim. What I am saying is the only acting work he's had lately consists of trying to convince the cashier at Walmart that the dog food he buys once a week is actually for a dog and not for him to chow down on in the parking lot like they've caught him doing on the regular. Seriously, Rome, I don't know if you've seen Left's ears lately, but I'm pretty sure with those radar dishes tacked to the sides of his head that that dude can listen to your show without ever actually turning on his radio. Rumor has it he can hear a whisper from over 50 miles away. Hey, Left, you're a gimmicky little bitch. I mean, I, I want to say, how are you going to beat that? But he has been beaten before. He has not won it every single time out. But a fair question would be, of course, does the field's best beat his best? Because generally you do get his best day of. Put it this way. If ever there has been an overall number one seed going into the tourney, it is the BIC. A.K.A. the one to beat. A.K.A. the G-O-A-T. Very little mystery in the lead-up because we know he's going to call and we know he's going to stack bodies. The only real question is, can anybody step up and stop this dude? Can somebody knock him out this year? Can somebody knock him off this year? Can somebody knock the crown off this guy's dome this year? I don't know. Not if he wants it. Not if he wants to keep it. It can be awfully tough to beat. Think Tiger Woods in his prime. Catch you on Friday. Bradley, cannot wait. Can't wait. Except the favorite, the chalk, does not always win. And there are a lot of runners in this race. It's going to be good. That's awesome, though. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Wild Trapper, because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. 
I mean, who wants dried out tough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what's your beef? Ray in SA. Good to have you, Ray. What's going on? Not too much, Jim. Hey, was that chalk? Joe was right. That did sound like a dude with a Hispanic accent. Hey, Jim, you said you're looking for RSVPs, and you said you wanted to, if you wanted to get in the big event to call an RSVP, well, Ray is calling you to give his RSVP. It is proper etiquette. So, here it goes. Yes. Ray is going to attend the Smack Off Watch Party hosted by Matt in L.A. and Ryan in Sacktown and Beauregard. And, yes, it will be at Beauregard's palatial estate and Pacific Palisades. And, yes, he does have a clay tennis court. As you know, Jim, the boys in Green Bay are having a Smack Off Watch Party also. He's not going to Green Bay. You like it out there? It's all factories. Anyways, Fabian and Ray are going. Ah. I don't like it in here, Ray. No offense. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Ray, exactly what were you RSVPing for? Were you RSVPing to watch the event at Beauregard's house? When I say RSVP, you can't be some rando. An RSVP to something you have not been invited to. The point of the RSVP is you receive an invitation and then you let the host know we will or will not be in attendance. But you have to be invited in order to RSVP. When I say to you that's proper etiquette, that's what I mean. That's proper etiquette. My brother, you have not been invited anywhere. Not by me. Will. Good to have you. Will, how are you? I'm good, Jim. Thanks for having me. You got I just it. wanted to say belated welcome back to Alvy and apologize on behalf of the clones making fun of him. Thing that he calls his bedroom, quote, pound town. So I want to stand up to Alvy or stand up for Alvy and give it back to the clones. So I heard Rick in Buffalo calls his bedroom the ICU because he's got medical equipment on the walls for when his heart gives out. James in Portland, I heard he calls it uh, formerly the Shrine of Alvin Deloro, complete with candles and a cardboard cutout of Alvy smashing a bug. Abigail calls it Value of Home Center because it's for the do-it-yourselfers. Brad and Corona, no comment. Thank you for keeping Paul's dog from winning the smack-off. Speaking of Paul's dog, I hear he actually has two names for where the magic happens. Yeah, it's called Paul's Leg and Paul's Pillow. Finally, I hear girls call Mark in Hollywood bedroom Afghanistan because he always withdraws early and no one's really happy with how it ended. Or the Browns front office showing up to Baker's house. Respect for taking some big swings, but you're coming out your cleats. Like that, that, that call had a little bit of everything. There was a moment where I thought to myself, this is not amusing at all. He's not going to make it five more seconds. Then he somehow got back on track, and it was kind of funny. 
He turned a couple of pretty good lines and then went with this Afghanistan crack. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. He is Robert Lucetich. Robert, my man, what's going on? How are you? Ryan, great to be uh, on as always, mate, uh, on a very lovely, sunny Southern California day. Boy, is that the truth? It's good to have you back, too. All right, so let me ask you this. Given the pressure of the moment and everything that was at stake, Robert, what did you make of that shot from the fairway bunker on 18 yesterday by Matt Fitzpatrick? Let's start right there. Yeah, I mean, that's an old-timer. It's an immediate old-timer. You know, the, the obviously, if he was about four feet to the right, he probably doesn't, doesn't have the shot, but he had the shot. But there's one thing about, you know, having the shot's one thing. But executing that shot the way he did, with, with all that pressure, I mean, with with an open, you know, on the line, I mean, you know, and, he, and let's not get over the fact that, I mean, he, he looks like he's 12 years old. He still looks like he's 12 years old. Um, and, and just everything on his shoulders. And uh, the kid just showed me some uh, gunners, as they say. Uh, just fantastic. And uh, I, people have always said, you know, look out for him. But you got to do it. You know, you got to do it. And you got to do it on the biggest stage. And he did. And uh, he stared down some guys that, you know, looked like they were in better shape. But hitting 17 greens at a place like the Country Club and, and, and a shout out to, to that venue, too. I thought it was just fantastic. One of the best U.S. Opens uh, for a while. Uh, and I hope they just they got to find a way to go back there because the course was a star. The players were, were a star, and, uh, and, and and frankly, the only loser was uh, the, the the live golf uh, rebels, who uh, you, you really look and see at their, their their little operation, and you just can't compare it, can you? Robert Lucetich, certainly not at this point, right? So let me ask you about that. I'm just going to skip ahead and follow you. Phil Mickelson goes 78-73 in the first two rounds. He misses the cut in a hurry. Were you at all surprised by his performance? No, not at all. I mean, Phil looks looks like. Uh, a shadow of the of the of the confident, cocky golfer that he used to be, and obviously uh, he's been worn down. And a lot of it is his own doing. I'm not. I, I certainly uh, am not going to justify the the uh, things that obviously he's done. I mean, the gambling was out of control. He's admitted that. But it takes. I mean, Romy, think about this. I mean, averaging 10 million a year in losses for four years. Is uh, that's substantial? I don't care who you are. That's uh, that's that's not good. That's an addiction. That's a problem. And obviously, he's being now that all of this is out in the open. I think he's very embarrassed. I think he feels humiliated, and he looks it. He just looks the shell of the of the of the guy that you know. He always felt he could just work the room, and uh, he didn't look like that. And beyond beyond the personal drama with Phil. I mean, you know, the guy is uh, 52 years old. I mean, he's not winning. I mean, he, what he did to win that PGA is still astounding, and it'll be one of the greatest achievements in golf majors history. But he didn't have another top 10 in in in, in the season. So, you know, Phil's days of uh, of of lording over 
professional golfer over and and you know he took the money and so be it but uh yeah not a not a good week for phil mickelson not a good week for uh greg norman not a good week for the for the live golf tour talking to robert lucetich so let me follow you on that too robert like i'm sure the pga tour really enjoyed the fact that many of the live golfers fell on their faces at the u.s open now that we've had one live golf event what are your early impressions of the quality of golf on that tour and the quality of the experience for the fans? Well, look, I, my, my old boss from Fox Sports, David Hill, one of the greatest, I believe, one of the greatest uh, innovative sports TV executives ever, uh, what he did with cricket in Australia, what he did with uh, the Premier League in England, then he comes to the U.S. and, and uh, just completely, I think, changed the way the NFL was watched on television here, baseball. I mean, he, he's doing, I thought he did a good job. I liked the broadcast. I do not like, uh, you know, he's introduced a very NASCAR feel to the graphics on the front, uh, on, on the screen with the teams. I, I think it's gimmicky personally, That's uh, but I'm more of a traditionalist. So, I'm, I, you know, I, I think that uh, golf was designed to begin on the first tee and end on the 18th green not winning a tournament on the seventh green, you know, on a, on a Saturday afternoon. I think that's weird. But it's about trying to be a little bit faster. The pacing's faster. The action is faster. Um, and I see where they're going with it. But, you know, let's, let's be clear here. The average age of the guys they're signing are, you know, low 40s. And, and look at that leaderboard from yesterday. They're all in their 20s. Uh, you know, Rory being an exception. But all these young players, they're not really interested because they know that, you know, they want to win majors. They want to, they want, they want the big stuff. They want to feel what it is to, to uh, do things that Tiger Woods did and Jack Nicklaus did and, and all the greats in history. And you're not going to get that from live golf, but you will get a lot of money and uh, there will be more players that go. I've, I've always maintained that first event will be their worst because a lot of the players who, who are sitting around, wondering what would be the repercussions if I sign with them. They, they're starting to now figure out, okay, here's the pros and here, here are the cons. And I believe we'll see uh, some, some relatively bigger names, some younger names signing with them because, frankly, the money is just too good. It's, just, it's, a, it's very, very good money. And uh, so they will get better. But ultimately, you know, if you put, if you put a – one of these live guys pull them aside and say, you know, would you rather win your $4.25 million uh, at some event in, you know, Pumpkin Ridge and Portland, or would you rather win, you know, uh, a, a big regular event? You, you know what the answer really is, but to a, to a point, I think that they're, you know, they're, a lot of them basically are past their use by date. They're in their forties. That's a time when you don't win a lot. So that's what we're seeing right now. But, the danger for the PGA Tour, and listen, there is a danger. The danger is that, that young guys are going to take the money. And uh, that's where I see the, the, the real problems coming down the line. Yeah, I was going to say, Robert, down the line. Exactly. Robert Lucetich, my guest, down the line. I mean, could you see a scenario down the line where the Live Golf Tour is the biggest tour in the world? And if so, what would that mean for golf? Well, I mean, this is, look, let's, 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 call this what it is this is a hostile takeover of professional golf it is in, in some ways as a as a guy that played on the european tour told me last week he said you know the the pga tour is getting its comeuppance 
because this is exactly what they did to the European tour, strangle them with, with bigger purses and more money and more star power. And I think that ultimately what's happening is the Saudis, we've got to stop looking at this like it's any kind of, makes any financial sense. It makes none. The Saudis have essentially kicked in $2 billion and Greg Norman and his, and his crew is now busily spending that to try to, to essentially take over the, 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 the world golf tour, to become the world golf tour. It's not a small thing. It's like going after the NFL. It's like going after Major League Baseball. It's, there is no difference at all. They're going after them, and they're doing it very aggressively. Now, the PGA Tour has come back with what I, and I understand it. They've, I'm sure they've hired a lot of people in crisis PR to tell them, tell them these things. But they've come back, and they've tried to make what is a commercial dispute and at its core, it is a commercial dispute, into a moral argument by painting the live tour at, with, with Saudi Arabia and the human rights abuses that go on there and the despicable nature of MBS, uh, who is essentially running that country uh, and has done terrible, terrible things. So they're painting, the PGA Tour is painting the live golf tour as uh, an organ of Saudi Arabia, and that's fair enough. All's fair in love and war, but at its core, this is a commercial dispute. And what the PGA Tour is very, very worried about is that the day will come when the money is just too good to say no to. And I think what we, what's going to be a line in the sand is what are the majors going to do? At this point, they're kicking it down, kicking the can down the road, and they're saying, if you've qualified for this major, you can play. That's fine. But what's going to happen in two, three or four years when these guys, if they don't get world ranking points, are they going to be in the fields for majors? So there's, a, there's still a long way to go. I've always thought this is going to end up making lawyers rich and it's going to end up in courts. But it's going to be interesting. The next few years will be very interesting because the Saudis and Norman and Liv, they're not going away. Did a great job of laying that out, and I appreciate that. Robert, before you go, Tiger Woods, I'll get that in there. He did not play at the U.S. Open this weekend. Last check, his plan was to play at St. Andrews next month. As somebody who has covered Tiger and understands him really well, what do you think is motivating him right now, and why do you think he keeps playing? I think that he's playing because he knows he can play a limited schedule. I don't think he has any interest in playing full-time anymore anyway. I don't think he did even without the injury. Uh, but I think that something like St. Andrews is so appealing to him because, first of all, physically, it's a place he can go to. It's a flat walk, very flat, one of the flattest places you'll find. Um, it's a great place. But what, what is really appealing to him, I think, well, apart from the fact that he's won there twice, obviously, is that he will be able to play that golf course without having to worry about guys hitting at 350 and 360 yards and distance being an issue because it is a strategic golf course. And one thing about the, you know, we all talk about Tiger at Pebble Beach in 2000. I was there. It was singularly the greatest golf tournament I've ever seen because the performance, nobody wins a major by 15. It was just ridiculous. But lost in all of that was that he then, the next month, went to St. Andrews and he wins by eight. But what did he do? He didn't hit it in a single bunker. And that is just, that's almost like winning by 15 in a sense, because you just can't avoid those bunkers. They're everywhere. But that's, that's just how on point he was. And I think that a place like that, it's, it's the home of golf. 
Uh, he's, he's said before that St. Andrews is one of his favorite courses in the world, and it might be his favorite. And I think the idea of him going there and playing there is a personal journey. It's almost a spiritual thing, and I don't think it has as much to do with... And of course, he'd love to win, but it, it, I think it has to do with the, the, the... It's almost going to be a spiritual journey. I think it'll be a great thing for him. And he knows he can play. He knows he can compete. Because I think, I'll, I'll tell you this about Tiger Woods. He, you will not see him playing as a ceremonial golfer going out there and shooting 78. He will not. He's far too proud for that. He'll never do that. So when, you know, when we see him now, we'll see him, it's, we'll see him at a place where he thinks he's got a shot. So I look forward to it. Nailed that conversation, as always, top to bottom. He's a golf journalist, author of Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season, longtime friend of this radio program, Robert Lucetich. Robert, I appreciate you. So great to have you back. Thanks so much for doing that. You got that. it, Romy. You're Thank the best. You, and now a message from Discover About Rewards. If you are a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like Cashback Match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you've earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. I mean, we are in a dead sprint. Yes, the main event's Friday which means I'm hyping this thing hard. You saw the way I came out on Monday to start this thing out. Remember, it's an invite-only event. So if you want in, you better get in. It is still possible to qualify with one great call. Rex in SLO literally did this last week. You can still RSVP. You can still even send a prediction to smackoffvideos at gmail.com. Just keep it airable for daytime television. Not too late for any of that. Let me hit you right now with another player profile. It's not just, though, another player profile. This guy is a legend. And if we did that real baggy thing of Mount Smackmore, you'd have to put this guy right up there. And it's only taken the self-proclaimed Laguna Beach bully. Eight main events to make that massive mark on the jungle. Laguna is the home of Lef. Lef and Laguna gets the treatment today. In fact, he might not be the only one. I'm jamming them all in. He is one of only three. Three three-time winners in the history of the event. The BIC has the six I mentioned. Shawnee has the five I mentioned. Lef's got three. Those dudes are looking down on everybody else. Think about that. 14 between the three of them. The thing about Lef is he's not just jungle royalty. He didn't just accomplish that status with three straps and seven top six finishes. He actually did it by changing the game. He did it by pushing the limits of a phone call to a sports radio program. I mean, this is the dude who called the smack off from a freaking helicopter. He buzzed our tower back in 2015. And Jim, you can probably hear the Eurochopter EC-125 buzzing in the background, but I bet you can probably hear it even better because I'm right outside the O'Reilly Auto Parts studio for reals. Jim, that blue chopper right outside the window, that's me. Riding shotguns, Randall, he washed your windows four weeks ago. And our pilot trending on Twitter today, Captain Steve Wonder. Thing is, Captain Steve Wonder. Yeah, see what you did there. The thing is, that wasn't him with some sound drop or sound library 
It was insane. He really was in a copter. He was one of the first guys to get fully theatrical with it physically. And that was only the beginning because if you buzz the tower with a helicopter, what do you do for the next thing? What do you do next year? Left's main event is so next level in the way of smack. I had to change the rules of the game for this dude. Kind of like Wilt the Stilt or something. Because he stormed the studio two different times on the big day. So I had to ban studio storming because people started to cry about how it's unfair. It's unfair. He lives in the area. He can get there. We can't afford to get on a plane. It's unfair. It's not level playing field. I, in fact, banned studio storming because of that guy. But it didn't stop. It didn't even slow left down. He still came back and he ripped the strap at SmackOff 26 two years ago on the strength of this Shawnee takedown. Shawnee, so uh, not a good look when the bridal party arrives on a cattle trailer and the audience starts bidding during the Maid of Honor speech. But my biggest concern, whoever was staying in that hotel room below yours, wondering if the bed Big Sean is making love on is going to come crashing through the ceiling like you're the Kool-Aid guy. I mean, Lef can run devastating straight smack. Or he can change up and take a different approach than anybody else ever has. For example, nobody in the history of the show can pull together a cameo like Lef. And he has proven that over and over again. It's time for your sports update. My man Rich Ackerman's got it. Rich? Breaking news we're following out of the Inland Empire. Corona police arrested a man-child today after discovering his elaborate plans to impersonate several different people using the same voice and wacky cartoon sounds in order to fraudulently win a radio contest. Hang on, I got another call coming in. Uh, hello? Hi, it's Larry Brown. Congratulations, Jim, on all the success. And I love the show. But you have to stop Frank calling me. I don't want the gym membership. Hey, Jim. Straight fire here. Sorry if I sound a bit hoarse, but I'm here to RSVP for Left and Laguna. Just make sure Left doesn't have the combination to the paddock on the door. Track me. I'm open. That's right, Left. I'm Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, and I want to talk Chargers soccer with you. Hey, Left. Henry Winkler here. Just want to touch base before Smack Off 24. How great is it that it's on TV this year? I've written down July 20th, and I'm storming the studio. And I'm bringing with me my award. Hi, Lef. Ron Say here. Hey, Lef, would you give Rome a message for me, please? Would you tell Jim to stop sending his fan base out to stalk me? <laughs> oh, so you think this is funny? Yeah! Dumbass. Pretty amazing, actually. Pretty amazing. You see, the BIC famously glossed left a, quote, gimmicky little bitch. But Brad and maybe Sean are the only ones who can spout off like that because they're the ones who've proven they can hang with that, quote, gimmickly, gimmicky little bitch who actually, actually, wow, I wish you weren't a gimmicky little bitch. Be easier for me to get out. He's not, though. These guys, that was all legitimate. Legitimately, Larry Brown. Legitimately, Ron Say. Legitimately, 
Fonzarelli, all legit and very entertaining and creative and hilarious and without question one of the best callers ever to do it. However, Leff might have had his worst call ever to the smack-off last year when a bit about a Brad tattoo fell way short of his lofty standards. I didn't just print stuff on some underwear, Jimmy. I went a little bit more permanent. I had Brad's face permanently tattooed on my left butt cheek. Luckily, the tattoo came with free gray ink updates so I can keep up with Brad's aging lettuce. And uh, Brad, let me know if you ever get Botox in that wrinkled face so I can mix in some more hamstring curls at the gym, all right? So Brad, you and the other lames in the war room, grab those 2018 white panties, put them on a stick, and start waving them around and surrender. Now, it doesn't matter if they bury me upside down when I die, Jimmy, because, Brad, you can kiss my ass forever, you goofy, goofy bitch. Not his best idea. But notice, the dude is never afraid to take that big swing, that wild swing. And notice in that call, just like the year before, he came out here hunting big game. He knows to be the man, you got to beat the man. The biggest game. So two years ago... Left's fist connected with Shawnee's face. Last year, Left whiffed on Brad's mug because Brad slipped that punch. It happens. Honestly, to me, it just makes this guy even more dangerous come Friday. Because if you don't think that the Laguna Beach bully is gearing up to dole out some vengeance, then you do not know Left. And he's more than a gimmicky little bitch. That's part of what he does. However, there's way more to him than that. And I think he made that point pretty clear with his RSVP last Friday. I wanted to clear the air. Caleb in Green Bay has finally landed a girlfriend, Jimmy. And uh, this is a little exotic, but she's from another nation. His imagination, Jim, let's just say intimacy for our boy Caleb is a uh, DIY project. But Jim gave Caleb, Caleb props. And I do think he's the best to ever win it. I love that topic. But, Jimmy, I'm more interested in who the worst that's ever won it is. Because if Vic and Nokel doesn't close his eyes and hit a moonshot to the warning track last year, we're all calling him Vic Bra. So congrats, Silk. Your status is uh, unchanged for another week. But, Jimmy, regarding Vic being the worst to never win it, uh, I've long said he's got the game to do it. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Jimmy, that's it for me. See you on the 24th, buddy. All right. I love that RSVP. Straight-up game-changer. He is prolific. He is dangerous. He's got the second-best odds from Stucknut to rip the throne next week, and for good reason. And whether you like it or not, the reason is actually very simple. It's because he is one of the best and most decorated callers in jungle history, period. I don't care where and when the smack-off is. You could hold that thing yesterday, and I'll show up and win it. Effective immediately. I have hereby fired Team Left. All the writers, all the producers, uh, Jimmy, they're just straight fired. Hey, uh, Gino, thanks for that five-minute RSVP that you won't be calling Friday. Remind me not to invite you to a party you can't attend because I don't need to read a nine-page regret letter. I do know what Benny and Wisco and Cheese have in common. They both stink worse than a Dane Cook butt biscuit. Caleb, I'd call more if I was like you. You know, no friends, no offspring, no access to sunlight. And if my mom did my laundry and laid it out of my race car bed. National Bring Your Dog to Work Day. So, Tyler and Edmonton, don't forget to roll down the window for your girlfriend on your way to work. And Mike, saying things twice isn't cool. Saying things twice isn't cool. Rick Pitino, what type of beer is this vampire drinking anyways? Bloodweiser? And Romy, I'm not saying rigor mortis is fully set in yet, but 
Dude hasn't looked this stiff since he devoured that taco at that Italian restaurant. Did you see a helmet chipped the tooth of Aaron Judge? How in the hell did a helmet even find a tooth in this guy's gap mouth? And with that jack-o'-lantern mouth, people in New York have already started calling him Mr. October 31st. Did you know Joe Burrow is just the command Richard Gere shouts to his pet gerbil named Joe? War Jacksonville Jaguars, Shahid Khan sporting that big brown lip sweater that looks like he gave him. Denage Davenport. Was this fight put on by Bellator or the Belly Tour? I mean, for God's sakes, Joe, have a take and suck in. Congrats on getting the show on Sirius XM. I mean, how cool is it that Sam Cassell and Willie McGee can now listen to me on extraterrestrial radio? And Jimmy, how great is it that Smackoff falls in the only week without any pro sports? I mean, who scheduled this thing? Brad and Crona? I mean, dude has less interest in opening the sports section than Shaq Griffin has in opening a pickle jar. Brad, if the point of your pictures last year was to prove Americans are not all fat, Maybe tell Reggie to keep his fat ass out of the reflection of your ray band. Brad versus the field. Dude, unless your nickname for me is The Field, I assume you're referencing his white trash backyard. Gimmicky little snitch. Legends never die, Romy. Hey, what a bet, punk? Whoa, whoa, Terrence, put the gun down. <laughs> hey, Bert says hello. Damn, oh. ah, ah, ah. I'm out of bullets. Time to die. I'm out. You gotta tell me that guy's got no shot. You're going to tell me that this thing's already over. Come on. There's a reason why he's ripped it three times. Who you got now? The BIC or Lef or somebody else? Another player profile. Lef in Laguna. More than a gimmicky little bitch. As great a line as that is. Darren Waller is my guest. Darren, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me. So good to have you. So listen, before we get into football, something I appreciate talking to you about is your perspective on life. I understand you've done some traveling this offseason. I'm curious, where did you go and what was the experience like? Um, two of the most notable travel experiences. Uh, I went to Zion National Park in Utah at the end of last season in January. Um, I've never felt so small in the grand scheme of things, just being around those mountains and the size of the rocks and stuff, it was just amazing to look at. And then I just went to Lake Tahoe for a few days this past week. And um, I don't know, man, something about mountains and water and just great views and just silence that uh, really does something for me, really helps me feel uh, grounded. It's, you know, I want to get to our national parks, so that's, that's, that's what's up next for me. Hey, Darren, what is that? Can you explain that? I agree with you because I'm one of those guys who I like to get the work in and burn some calories and get some cardio done, but I like to get in, hammer it, get out, and just do it indoors, you know? But I realized it took me a long time to figure it out. It matters, the mountains, the water, the open air. Why is that so critical? I don't know, man. For me, I just feel like it brings me closer to my creator, you know, and just to see, just be in awe of, you know, what has been made and just the beauty of this world and it just you know it just reminds me of like things that beautiful i don't think they just happen by accident you know and I, it just reminds me that i'm not here by accident either and that i have a purpose and i don't know i just feel very connected to all of that when i'm in areas like that darren waller is joining us i want to go back to something you said in april after you represented the raiders in the city of vegas at a number of events surrounding the draft you said quote my life up to this point i still find it hard to believe that i'm able to do the things that i'm able to do it's an honor and i'm grateful and to quote i mean what does it mean for you to be in the spot you're in right now and to be able to do these things um it's, it's an amazing feeling honestly to be somebody that um you know, impacts 
the community around me in a positive way um, impacts, you know, the team I'm on, just, just the space that I'm in, the relationships that I have, just to, you know, be somebody that's adding value to those situations and those moments instead of somebody that's, you know, taken away from it or just being self-centered in it. So it's, you know, the, mo- the moment I, you know, drop my guard, drop my desires, drop my fears and, you know, selfish desires, you know, my life gets better and has gotten better ever since, you know, that very first day. Uh, so I don't know, man, I'm just, the gratitude never ends, but it's just, yeah, it's just awesome to just be a part of the good things in life that uh, the world is trying to accomplish. Darren Wallace, my guest, he's co-host of the Comeback Stories podcast, which starts this new season on July 11th. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. Tied in for the Raiders, too. So I had new safety Deron Harmon on the show recently, Darren, and we were talking about the vibe around the team. Now that Josh McDaniels is in charge, what's that change been like for you? Um, I know it's the change from the jump, you know, just um, a very intense approach to um, not only winning, but just the process of it and how early it starts how much of a commitment it is and how detailed you have to be in the process of it. Um, I mean, you look at, I mean, I think that dude's been, a, played, been nine Super Bowls or something. And so it's just like, you know, when people like that talk and um, share about the process, you know, you listen and you buy in. Um, and so it's, it's, they've been, they've been honest. They've been challenging us and creating a high standard for what we're trying to do. And I feel like that's not going to do anything, but bring the best out of people. All right, so you've got that, and then now you're also in an absolutely stacked AFC West. Not only a new head coach and offensive coordinator, but also the arrival of Devontae Adams. What does he bring to the offense, and then what does that mean for you when there's another major threat on the field? Um, I mean, he brings megastar ability, um, and a defense can't help but notice and, you know, and the troops at a guy like that, you know. Um, but it's just also really just by getting to know him, just a very calm demeanor. Um, and, you know, a guy that doesn't need somebody to set a standard for excellence for him, he's going to go and do it himself. Um, that's been inspiring to be around. So uh, I'm excited to see, you know, just how we all on the offensive side complement each other because we have a lot of guys that can really get things done. And, um, you know, as long as guys – you know, stay in the game and bring a level of unselfishness to it and see the value and uh, how you run your route to maybe get somebody else open or free someone else up. Like, if we can keep that attitude, I feel like there will be incredible balance and it will just be a fun year, especially just for our side of the ball. Darren Waller is my guest. Darren, I got a business question for you. I mean, I know you're focused on ball, but at the same time, you are 17th among tight ends and average salary, which means you are really underpaid. I know you will let your agent handle that part of it for you, but is it important to you to get a new deal done soon? Um, it's it's important for me so that it gets done uh, whenever it gets done. You know, um, I, I trust that, uh, you know, for me that things happen in God's timing uh, and that takes the worry and takes the fear out of, you know, when it will happen or how it will happen or what it looks like. I just trust that, you know, my life has continued to get better and better up until this point, and I know that anything that's meant for me will come when it's supposed to come. And, uh, you know, I just trust in that and just try to immerse myself in being the best teammate and just enjoying the process of playing, you know, because I don't want my mind to be shifted back to uh, self-centered things. And, uh, you know, I just try to keep focused and just keep that trust and faith high. 
Darren, I think about stuff like that. I, I mean, you, you certainly have walked a challenging journey. When you talk about, I just want to make sure that I'm focused on the right things and that my mind does not shift back to self-centered things. Is there a process? Is there a strategy? How do you make sure that doesn't happen? What is the process? Um, I mean, the process for me is, you know, just the program that was laid out to me in the, in the 12 step meetings I go to, it's really just, you know, something that challenges me to just be vulnerable about, uh, emotions that I'm feeling, thoughts that I'm having on a day to day basis, whether it's with, you know, my therapist, my sponsor, you know, just continuing to pray, meditate, just things that keep me in the present moment and things that allow me to just have a sense of calm in my inner world. So I can notice these things when they spring up and know that. Um, I don't have to attach myself to them and I can continue to, you know, react to them in a way that, uh, you know, I want the future self and the man that I'm trying to become, how he would react to those things. And, uh, you know, it's paying off for me just, you know, keeping people around me that are just going in a similar direction and, uh, you know, just staying centered. It's so powerful. I love hearing that. Darren Warren, my guest. So back in April, your foundation announced that 16 young adults had completed 35 to 45 days of inpatient drug addiction treatment thanks to the Against the Wall grant program. What does that number mean to you, and what's it mean to you to play that kind of role in young people's lives? Um, yeah, for my name to even be attached to that is, you know, something that's just uh, mind-blowing if you just look back a little under five years ago. Um, but, yeah, it's an, it's an amazing thing because, going to rehab was something that was gifted to me by the league and you know it was something that changed my life uh immensely and so i was like who am i to not continue to pass this on and to give it to, to somebody else give what was freely given to me um so that's what i'm trying to do through this program and we're trying to expand the resources that are available uh to these people when they leave rehab and know that they still have people uh, in their corner to help them transition back into life and yeah, it's just, it's just an amazing process. And it's just like, you know, you can't can't make stuff up like this. It's an amazing program, too, Darren. Good for you. I want to ask you before you go about the new season of your Blue Wire podcast, Come, Comeback Stories. It starts on July 11th. This season's guests include Michael Vick and Michael Phelps. What have you been able to take away and learn from talking with guys like Vick and Phelps? Um, for me, you just take away, like, guys that are just like, super superstars ability wise and talent wise, you know, they're not immune to the daily struggles of worry and fear and anxiety and trying to perform and meet expectations and the pressure that comes with it. Like they still feel the same emotions that everybody else has, you know, and it's just like, you know, it gets you to the point where you think like nobody's better than really anybody else. Just people have different experiences, different, moments different you know series of events and adversity but that common denominator for all people and all humanity is facing adversity and you get people like them to get on and talk raw and honestly about it i don't know it just it just makes a much more shared human experience and people can relate to that and take inspiration from it I was going to say, especially if people open up and they share their thoughts. So really quickly, if if the similarities are, hey, listen, we have anxieties. We're not that different. We have to face these kinds of challenges and adversity as well. Is there a common thread? Like you have your comeback story. They've got their comeback stories. Is there a common thread that runs through those that have overcome that kind of adversity? Yeah. I feel like all these people have had somebody that they can lean on. Um, Michael Phelps talked about his wife 
Um, you know, Mike Vick leaned on uh, Tony Dungy. Um, we talked to Steve Smith Sr. He was talking about the work that he's done with his therapist. You know, I talk about how I go to therapy all the time. And, you know, just you got to have people that you can be completely honest with um, about everything that you're going through or, you know, those things that you keep secret are going to keep chipping away at you and keep eating at you and keeping you in that place of just like, ugh, like disgust, you know? So I feel like just all these people have talked about people that they've leaned on just an ability to remain coachable, remain teachable, and just remain uh, humble throughout their processes to know that, you know, I've done a lot, accomplished a lot, but I still have a lot more to learn and a lot more areas to grow in. Jim, one last thought, just to follow up. Isn't it amazing that, like, not that long ago, and I mean not that long ago, it was absolute taboo for any athlete to talk about therapy because it was hammered from day one. You do not show any weakness. You don't say anything like that. I mean, where would we be without this open dialogue and conversation about therapy? And who knows how many people it's helped and how many it will still help. I mean, thankfully, late in coming, but better late than never. Absolutely. Yeah, we can only you know, grow at the rate, rate that we can. Um, there's been a lot of progress made, and, you know, I want to be a part of that movement because I feel like a lot of, you know, mind states and, you know, ideas as men that we should carry and that we should embody don't really serve us anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I always say, like, I'm, I'm learning pretty much everything I've learned since I was a kid on what a man is and how I should be approaching this world. And, uh, you know, I want to use my voice to talk about that because I know the feeling that it gives me on a day-to-day basis to, to be free of those old mindsets, those old ideas that don't serve me anymore. Couldn't respect or admire you anymore, Darren. Really appreciate the conversation. Really powerful stuff. Remember, he is the co-host of Comeback Stories podcast. It gets underway with a new season on July 11th. They tied in for the Raiders, Pro Bowler as well. Darren Waller, my guest. Darren, thanks a million. Great to have you back on. I do appreciate the relationship. Yeah, thanks, Tim. All my pleasure. Good night now!